Welcome to the Church Interpreting Podcast. I'm Lauren Albizu. And I'm Jonathan Downey. And on the show today... Us! This is the third and final part of the conversation that Lauren and I had on church interpreting. And this month we're talking about that thorny issue, should church interpreting be professionalised? There has been more than one article that has argued that the solution to all the woes of church interpreting, and apparently there are many, is that church interpreting should be professionalised either by the existing interpreters being kicked out and replaced by professionals, or by the existing interpreters being trained to work according to professional standards and suddenly being better. I want you to answer that first. I'm going to drop some of the articles in the show notes for people to decide themselves. But what would you say to that argument that church interpreting really needs to be professionalized, however we're going to define that? Part of my whole deal as a person this last few years has been finding a way to teach people how to interpret based on the professional training I got and I received. I think that you can learn professional techniques in order to interpret in church. But I also think that church interpreting is a branch in and of itself that has its own techniques and its own way of being. So there are things that you do in church interpreting that you wouldn't do in conference interpreting and you wouldn't do in a medical setting or any other setting, right? You'd only do it when you're in the church. And there's also the concept of this is a spiritual thing and a physical things. And I have to take the spiritual in there. And my worry is that if we just make it all professional and we have people go to school or get training for it, that we take the spirit out of it. This is something I've been rolling around in my head. I think there is an argument and I've seen some evidence that I have to be careful how I interpret that there are places where the interpreters and churches are genuinely struggling because of a lack of linguistic awareness, a lack of technique, a lack of self-monitoring, or, you know, something needs, something could do with being improved. And I think every interpreter I know, there's something in your interpreting training that could do with being improved, such as life. And I think there, there is definitely a place for, and I want to encourage people, interpreter training is really important. And things like, you know, simultaneity, uh, reformulation, managing your attention, those kind of skills, if you're an interpreter, you need those skills. You, you just get used to having to have those skills and you work on those skills until you think you're good at them. Then you realize you're not as good as you think and you, you just keep working on it. You know, you think you're great at reformulation until you have a certain kind of preacher or speaker and you go, I don't know how to reformulate that. So there are basic skills that every interpreter needs. Where I have the problem is I'm not convinced that there is a single unit that is professional interpreting. So like, I don't think we can easily define what a professional interpreter is without lots and lots of qualifications. So what it's okay to do in medical telephone interpreting is not the same as what it's okay to do in medical interpreting if you're in the room. Oh Yeah, it's very different. It's also not the same as what it's okay to do if you're in a court situation, which is not the same as what it's okay to do if you're apparently if you're doing lawyer-client interviews. And so there are, there are so many situations within situations within situations that having a definition of this is what professional interpreting looks like i don't think that works 
I think what this makes me think about is the difference between professional interpreting and community interpreting. For a while, they in school, they made me think like community interpreters were like not it. Like they weren't a good thing. Like we didn't want community interpreters. Like that's and many of my good friends that are interpreters are community interpreters and they're certified and I would count them as professionals. And it becomes this thing of like, are we doing this to be kind of elitist? Like, oh, we're over here and we're the cream of the cream and we're professionals and we went to school and we're like certified and everything and you guys don't matter. Would we be doing that as well? Until the 1990s, the prevailing view of interpreting was an interpreter is someone who tries to say what the speaker says as efficiently as possible. And interpreting is about information transfer. Then you start doing uh, people like Cynthia Roy, Cecilia Vadenshaw, Graham Turner, and others start looking at community interpreting of various kinds, whether it's sign language interpreting, educational interpreting. Claudia Angelelli would later look at medical interpreting and said, this looks like people, like interpreters, taking an active part in what's going on, gatekeeping, coordinating who can speak when, and all the stuff that we know interpreters have to do to be able to do their job. And, and the, it was the community interpreting researchers who said, this doesn't fit what you've told us about interpreting. And so everyone originally said, well, that's just interpreting in dialogue situations, so community interpreting or maybe some kind of interview or something. If you look at conference interpreting and legal interpreting, it's okay, that doesn't happen. Then along come Philip Angermeyer, Philip Angermeyer and Jeff Kilman for legal interpreting, Morvan Beaton for conference interpreting, and Ebra Derricker for conference interpreting, and Shader Aslan for conference interpreting. And they all wave their hands and say, actually, yeah, it's exactly the same in conference interpreting. It's always a collaborative process. Yes. So as soon as we start to say community interpreting, if we don't let that be professional, we cut off our connection to the very tree that's teaching us how to interpret better. I think both you and I agree church interpreting could do with more training. Absolutely. I think that's without a doubt. But should that training make them look more like professionals? Well, my question is, what's a professional? And then my second question is, what if the professional should look more like church interpreters and not the other way around? Uh, I do it sometimes where... I've already been working at this for a while, right? So now I've started to get comfortable with like, they're not understanding each other and they're going to say it was me. So I'm going to go and ahead and do a side note and say, hey, this is the conflict that you guys are having. Let's let's solve this. But it's becoming something that is being talked about because uh, a few months ago, I went to a conference here in Arizona where one of the presenters was talking about interjecting without interrupting where sometimes you have to speak up for yourself or for people in the meeting so that it goes way smoother and he was giving people techniques on how to do that without really feeling like you're breaking or terribly interrupting and causing the meeting to go a different way so I feel like it's something that it's developing and that's also the issue with making something professional is that when you keep going to all these conferences and and getting all these education you see that we're still growing and we're yes. still learning what it means to be a professional yeah there's no set definition <laughs> this is like oh yeah this was a professional about 10 years ago but now I discovered that some of those things were wrong so we're gonna expand the definition <laughs> to then include all of these things as well. And we keep moving back and forth between that. 
it's a moving goalpost for a reason. And I think making intelligent decisions, we were at home last Sunday because we were all blown with the cold and my church live stream wasn't working. So we watched a couple of other churches and we watched the church in Germany that happened to have an interpreted service. It was one that we knew often has interpreting. I, although I don't have German, watching the interpreter, I noticed how good church interpreters get at reading the preachers that they're used to interpreting for. So I've just released a post on my professional blog called, you know, why you should look for a specialist interpreter. In church interpreting is one of the examples I have in my head because the difference between someone who has been to the church since they were 10 or something and has listened to those preachers time and time and time and time again, the interpreting they can deliver versus the interpreting that a professional can deliver who's never heard these people before, maybe watched a couple of sermons, doesn't know the church culture, doesn't know the church doctrine and just gets dumped there you're going to get different levels of interpreting and, and arguably the person who's been there since they were 10 and can practically predict what's coming next because they know that the preacher always always likes to tell this particular joke. Yeah, I know who I would rather have. You know, we, we want to support and help church interpreters and I think there's a lot of training for churches because I don't think churches necessarily understand that interpreting changes everything. Yeah. As soon as you put interpreting into a church, the church either changes or the interpreting stops. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground. I, I, I'm try, desperately trying to wrap my words around why that is, but my experiences are that churches that don't change when they get interpreting stop having interpreting. It becomes a struggle if the church continues... Because... There's a lack of, of aid. And as an interpreter, there needs to be, again, that communication and that partnership. And if the other side's not willing to partner with you, then it becomes really hard for you to deliver your rendition in an appropriate way. Right? So obviously, it's not going to be like, oh, I start interpreting and everything's just going to change immediately. It's like a casual growth of like, hey, I need this, or we should do this, and we should include these other things so that people feel included in the service and the interpreting can be effective. And if those changes aren't made, then people leave and they're like, oh, I don't really feel welcome there. And then that kind of triggers to like stopping the interpreting or sometimes they just have it there and nobody uses it. Every interpreter has been there. And I think that's the, the thing of, so the model of professional interpreting that I'm used to, and you, I think you've experienced the same as an interpreter maybe gets pre preparation and advance warning for the situation interpreter interprets for the situation interpreter leaves the situation and never sees the people again yes i could see in the future because of the rise of artificial intelligence increasingly interpreters are going to want to be working with the same clients on a regular basis if they can that will improve their interpreting but church interpreting already has that in it getting to know the person you're interpreting helps you be a better interpreter it helps you know where they're going to go with certain thoughts. There's people that start an idea the same way all the time. We have formulas for the way we speak, even if we don't really analyze it, right? And so once you know this person's formula, or this preacher's formula, it's very easy to kind of just go get in the flow, interpret for them and everything. And we have that. Whenever I get a repeat client at my job as a medical interpreter, 
it's the best thing ever because I already know this doctor likes to be wordy or this doctor likes to make metaphors for illnesses and I'm ready for that right but when I don't know them it's like okay let me get to know you in these two minutes and then start interpreting and it's really weird and harder and it makes me have to work harder when I'm interpreting the only excuse I find for the first two or three minutes of a speech being boring is it lets the interpreters acclimatize. Yes. You, as true. a speaker, I hate boring introductions. As an interpreter, I love boring introductions. Like if you get a speaker who just launches into it, which is what they're supposed to do. You sit there in it as an interpreter and, and you're getting ready. You don't know what this person is going to do. And they launch into some big introduction. And as an interpreter, you suddenly go, okay, where are we going? And instantly you're kind of rocked back in your seat a little bit because you don't quite know, you know, how is this going to work? Whereas if you've interpreted for the same person before, it's like, okay, fine. Joel, there's a preacher called Joel Austin who likes to start his sermons with a joke. If I was interpreting Joel Austin, I would want to know that joke in advance. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Because jokes jokes are bad. Um, they're funny. They're just they're just the worst thing to interpret. So, but the one that I tell people, every interpreter has war stories. I was once interpreting for uh I think it was an American preacher. No, it was an Australian preacher. And he said, you know, um, salvation is blessed assurance, not blessed insurance. In French, you can't make that distinction. It doesn't exist. Oh. My my pastor a few months ago, he said, um, and I said this in English this way because I didn't know how to explain it. It's like, why did the tamal go to the hospital? Because he's feeling sick. But the thing is, in Spanish, it's, porque tamalito. So tamal, tamalito. And I'm like, it made a lot of sense in Spanish, but it made nobody laugh in English. And I'm like, I have no idea. I have no way to work around this. And he didn't tell me he was saying that. He just randomly went up on stage and said that because we were having tamales that day after church. And I was like, ah! I just told people to laugh. I was like, um, it's a joke. And this is the joke. Obviously in a more professional way, but. This is why, you know, professionalizing interrupting, professionalizing church interrupting some of the craziness you want to keep. But if you know the preacher and you know, you know, here's the verse, the one difficulty that I think preachers really should brief interpreters on as part of, if you like, a professionalization project I would support is please tell the interpreter which Bible translations, if you're using oh, more yes. than one that you're using. Because That's the one fight I have all the time. <sighs> I'm like, what? You changed the Bible translation on me. And also, if you're using the message, and I love the message, and I wrote to Eugene Peterson to thank him for the message because it's so much closer to how a professional translator would handle the Bible. If you're using the message, please give us time to check to see if there's anything we can do in our language because there probably isn't. And also, if you're using the message, please don't spend your sermon on like one or two words out of the message because it will not be in the other language. That's why I always tell them, like, tell me the message, the, the version you're using before. And then I go and I search through, like, the Bibles that I have in Spanish and the ones I can find online. And I go, these have, like, similar wording. Um, Sometimes I'm like, hey, when I get um to church, I ask him, are you going to focus on this word? Is this the word you're focusing on? He's like, yes. I'm like, okay, 
now let me sit down and reevaluate my translation of this passage so that this word can be the focus of your message. This is why church interpreting is so unique. On a standard service, you can go from singing to announcements, and you need to be absolutely precise on announcements. There's no point in people turning up for a Wednesday night prayer, but it's actually on Thursday and you've got the day wrong. Yeah. Like people need you to be precise in the announcements. And then you get the sermon, which can be anything from stories to technical to whatever. And then you have prayer. And I don't, for some reason, I find prayer the hardest thing to interpret. You do? I find it so, so give me singing songs over prayer, especially like when they're just praying. If it's a standard end of service blessing prayer, fight. Praying for someone, especially prophetic prayer for someone, that's really, really hard for me because I don't have a feeling of knowing where it's going. Well, I love prayer. Um, and I would take prayer over interpreting worship any day. That's the way that I, I work. Because for me, interpreting worship comes from a place of like, I really don't know what the worship leader is going to do or say or flow into or how the spirit is going to move there. And I have to be really sensitive to that. Whereas with prayer, I'm already praying before service and I'm already praying in my personal life. So once it comes to like, oh, we're going to prophetically pray over somebody or we're going to pray over the congregation, I go, okay, spirit, let's move. Let's go at this. And and I love the floweriness of prayer. Yeah, because my mom's the... um prayer leader at my church and so one thing that's always been present in my house is that flowery language of prayer and the when you open heavens and you close heavens and you pour out and pour into and so for me I always love I love that language and I struggled so much when I moved to the U.S. to find my comfort zone and how to use it in English that now that I know how I'm like yes give it to me all the time Whereas the struggle for me is you can get a sermon which is in standard contemporary English. Yes. And it could even have like a really funny story in it. And then suddenly people pray and the prayer can go from 21st century English to 16th century King James to back again in the same sentence. And for me, it's just like, could we choose which variety of English we're going to use, please? And I will interpret in the appropriate variety of French. Because <laughs> it's like, have you heard of code switching where people swap languages? Yeah. Um, I, I, I code switch for fun. I love code switching in the middle of a sentence just to just because I can. It's great fun. Yeah. But when someone switches language variety in prayer, I find it really difficult to... I think it's because I can't get my head around the structure. One thing I will tell you that I've discovered is that we're always told to pray the Bible, right? So people pray the Bible that they read. So most of the time, if they twitch that 16th century language, it's because they read that King James version. So they're going to be saying things in the King James. And I am and I have the same thing of like there's a particular Bible in Spanish that people always read. So I made a point of taking that Bible, reading it, and starting to pray that Bible or starting to pray the King James to kind of get myself used to and acclimated into the fact that they're gonna use 
this very strict language because it's like this is how I know the verse and this is I'm gonna say it or like with Psalm 23 people always try to pray Psalm 23 and they'll pray whatever version of Psalm 23 they know church interpreting is so filled with untagged bible quotes I don't think you could adequately prepare someone for untagged Bible terminology and things like that. And I think just getting used to the fact that that's going to happen, that takes skill, that takes time, that takes prep. And also that I can, I have a lot of time for the argument that says that takes being a Christian yourself. So I've been using the the most common French Bible. They've got two two different versions of the most common French Bible. I've been playing that to myself on a regular basis. And because I'm aware that as an interpreter, our work is so either oral or signed, you know, knowing how you spell a place name in French isn't that useful to me. Knowing how you say it is totally useful. Yes. And so hearing it and going, okay, so that's how they say so-and-so's wife. That's how they say, like, Esau. That's how they say Esau in French. I need to know that because I'm going to get that. And that's hearing the Bible orally, you know, shout out to Bible.is for some, some amazing work. I started reading my Bible in English almost exclusively because I struggled so much with the language in it mm. and with the phrases that people would use, especially because sometimes there's a verse that's particular to the church. Or there's a saying that's particular to the church. And if I don't know it because I was raised in a different church, then I need to get familiar with it, right? And that's how I work it out. And let's end with a quick tip. We've been talking about professionalization in this episode. For me, the biggest positive of professionalization is this idea that we should always be developing. If we're going to take anything from the professionalization debate, it's that every interpreter, whether a church interpreter or a, or a professional interpreter or whatever kind of interpreter they might be, wherever you interpret, there's something that you can improve on. Professionalization to me, if I was to give it a nice definition, is this dedication to your craft and this dedication to taking your craft seriously. So if we're going to learn anything from the professionalization debate, it's this. Take your craft seriously and always be growing. listening to the church interpreting podcast if you would like more free resources to help your church with interpreting go and check out churchinterpreting.com thank you for listening